This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. Have you ever noticed how some people were born with nothing, had nothing much in the material things of life, and yet made the world a better place to live? Well, today I want to tell you about just such a person. Amabile Visentainer was born in December of 1865 in a small village in northern Italy. Her father, Napoleone, and mother, Anna, were hard-working, God-loving peasants. Amabile's father was a skilled stonemason and bricklayer, but work was hard to find, and Amabile went to work at the age of just eight in a silk mill to help put food on the table for the family. Unemployment was high in that area, and many families were struggling mightily. But there was a solution for some, but it would involve a pretty big sacrifice. You see, the government of Brazil was anxious to develop a fertile area to help feed their populace and and would give away as many acres as could be successfully farmed. But it was also located in a primitive jungle area. This offer attracted many people from that part of Italy to own their own land, and the Visentainers saw this as an opportunity, and, and while it took Napoleone many months to raise the money for the passage, he finally succeeded. Before leaving, and while Amabile was still working in the silk mill, her mother was concerned at her loss of weight and when questioned, discovered that Amabile was giving away her lunch to those who had nothing because it made her feel good to help them. Amabile's grandmother became seriously ill, and the still eight-year-old child would hurry home after work to do her laundry, clean her house, and help any way she could. In fact, she would often have to get up extra early to get everything done. Amabile's mother wanted to get someone else to help, but the child insisted, saying, We must love Jesus and nothing more. Well, unfortunately, the grandmother died before they left for Brazil. Arriving in South America, the family hacked their way through the underbrush to the state of Santa Catarina, where Napoleone used his skills to build a large one-room house for his family, and even made beds for them out of eucalyptus leaves, and then placed a statue of the Blessed Mother on their primitive fireplace. The neighboring village of Nova Trenta was faster growing than theirs of Vigilo, And then the Jesuits arrived, and the men, led by Napoleone, built a small chapel named St. George in honor of their former parish in Italy. Amabile desperately wanted to go to school, but knew as the eldest daughter she had too many responsibilities, which even interfered with her making her first communion because she did not know how to read. In that time, only those who could read and pass the exams could make their first communion. Even the teacher was distressed that Amabile could not read the very very basics. Since everyone loved her, they started special prayers to the Holy Spirit, and heaven listened. And three days before the first communion, she could read. 
Her teacher was flabbergasted, and Amabile's only comment was, God is so good to me. In 1878, the Jesuits were again preaching in Novo Trento, and one of Amabile's friends, Virginia Nicolodi, asked her to be her sister's godmother at her confirmation, and the relationship between Amabile and Virginia would become a lifetime gift to God. In fact, one of the visiting priests noticed their piety and even suggested that they go to Rio de Janeiro where they could join a religious community, but their parents were too protective to agree. After all, neither spoke Portuguese, plus Virginia was crippled to a degree with a leg injury from birth that gave her a pronounced limp that made everything more difficult. Amabile said they could do good work here. Well, Virginia was apprehensive, and Amabile told her not to be afraid. She said, and I quote, Our Lady and St. Joseph will help us to show Jesus to the little children. You and I have been chosen. We must not be timid. We must do what God asks us to do through the priests. Well, so, not to be lukewarm in their endeavors, they arose at four o'clock every morning in order to attend Holy Mass, and their harvest was about to begin. There was a woman who was mad at God after two of her daughters living in sin were murdered. With great difficulty, Amabile was able to turn the woman's anger away from God and brought her peace. The whole episode convinced Amabile that her mission was to help others. But the question was, how? Well, the lives of Amabile and Virginia were being drawn closer and closer to his plans for them. The two girls took part of the initial mission to help the sick, and they even begged for food for the hungry, but that was only the beginning. In Vigilo, there was a young girl of 12 who had a strange malady. She would all of a sudden burst forth with screams, uh, violent shaking, rocking back and forth, and then after a time she would return to normal. So Amabile suggested to Virginia that they make a novena to the Sacred Heart of Jesus while fasting, saying, Jesus will hear us. And so they asked the girl's family to join with them in the novena. And two days after completing the novena, the Caesars stopped, never to bother her again. Several of the Jesuits felt the needs for a a congregation of sisters to establish a school, and both Amabile and Virginia felt this was for them. But, alas, there was no money available. But, ever resourceful. Several weeks later, Amabile suggested to Virginia that they build a little one-room house near the chapel of St. George where they could help the sick and even teach the children, and Virginia agreed. Amabile's mother died at the age of just 47, and Amabile had even more responsibilities thrust upon her. 
Well, the next few months were trying, but then something strange was about to happen. Amabile was to have the first of a series of dreams that were to guide her in her gifts for God. She was awakened in the dream by beautiful and melodious music, and as she looked out her bedroom window, she saw a great white mansion bathed in brilliant sunlight. The house was two stories tall with a grand staircase in front. Amabile felt drawn to the stairs, and as she climbed to the top story, she entered a vast hall which had two thrones. One seat was empty, and the other was occupied by a young woman. She was beautifully dressed in a bright white tunic with a belt the color of the blue sky and surrounded by mountains of white flowers. Amabile believed that the woman was the mistress of the house, but she looked like a picture of the Madonna of Lourdes. Standing next to the lady was a little girl who appeared to accompany her. The little girl beckoned Amabile to come closer because the lady had something very important to say to her. And then the woman spoke, but Amabile could not hear her. She dropped to her knees to kiss the feet of the woman, but the vision was so dazzlingly bright that she was unable to look at her. Amabile could not understand what was happening, so she ran away. Well, the following night... Amabile had the very same dream. The lady seemed full of joy and warmth as Amabile gathered her courage and approached the throne. And then the beautiful woman spoke, I have a great desire that some day you will do the work of my beloved son for the salvation of my children. Well, still in her dream, Amabile was confused and, and asked, How can I do this, my lady? I am nothing but an ignorant and unlearned child. I know so little about the world, and I must care for my family. And then Amabile awoke, thinking about the dream and all that had been said, and was greatly disturbed and and troubled. Now, on the third night, the very same dream was back. The beautiful lady questioned Amabile and said, My daughter, What have you decided? Amabile said, I want to obey my lady, but I am a nobody. I have nothing. I do not know how to read or write very well. And then Amabile began to cry, and the beautiful lady smiled with understanding and spoke with the voice of a loving mother. She said, Child, do not be afraid. I will get you a person to help you begin the work I want. And almost immediately, a man appeared next to the lady. He wore the cassock of a priest, and the man's whole demeanor seemed to exude a a radiance of joy as he stood next to the beautiful lady as she said, He will put you on the right path and show you the way in which I want you to work and to live. Well, Amabile would tell Father Cervanzi about her dreams. He believed her completely and felt the dreams were proof that what she was doing was exactly what the lady had wanted. 
But it wasn't long before Father Cervantes was transferred and he was replaced by an older priest who was very stern. And while he was supportive to a degree, he was not the priest of her dream. Then shortly he was replaced by a Father Marcello Rocci, a priest described as having a great devotion to Our Lady of Lourdes. When Amabile heard that he was uh, going to be there, she was sure he would be sympathetic to her goals, and, and then the priest arrived. Amabile was as frozen in space. He was the priest she had been shown in her dream. Well, the timing was perfect. Her father had met and married a fine woman, and now Amabile was free of her family responsibilities. Father Rochi discovered a, a poor woman, abandoned, very ill, with no one to care for her. He told Amabile and Virginia about her and mentioned the possibility of using an abandoned shack near the church as a kind of infirmary or hospital. Both Amabile and Virginia saw this as their calling. They moved the lady into the shack where they could provide some of the care her cancer required. And since the shack had only one bed, it would be used by the patient. They would sleep on the floor. Well, the woman arrived, and the odor from her cancer was unbelievable. But the girls persisted as they began to, to truly live their lives as servants of all of Christ's children. Probably due to her condition, the patient was surly and uncooperative, but with their care and love, the, the care and love that they provided, and as her condition worsened, she seemed to change to that of a grateful patient who soon joined the girl in their prayers and meditations. Their work was paying dividends. She told Amabile that she was truly a gift from God. After the woman's passing, Virginia felt they would both benefit from a spiritual retreat, and Amabile knew that Father Rochi would be the priest to provide it, and of course she was right. Not off, not long after they completed the retreat, Virginia became very ill, but as she recovered, Amabile also became dangerously ill with severe stomach pains as well as high fevers. Several of the doctors said that there was no hope for her recovery, as she later became even partially paralyzed. She also lost consciousness, and Father Rochi gave her the last rites. Well, at dawn, a few days later, Amabile opened her eyes, and as the day progressed, she started to feel stronger. But while unconscious, she had another of her dreams— in describing it, she said, There was a great plain with trees and beautiful flowers. Groups of children, dressed in white, sang and walked across the plain. In the middle of the field was a long staircase that extended up to the sky. On the first step of the staircase was our Blessed Mother, who said, Here are your daughters that I commit to you. And then Our Lady came forward and took Amabile's hand and then led her up the staircase. And as she awakened from her dream, she was filled with an, with an overpowering sense of peace. She knew that her life had a purpose and her job was just beginning. 
people were now taking notice and being aware of the two girls, and, and others were wanting to join with them on their mission. There was Teresa Maoli, who, like them, was born in the old country. She was 29 years old, and on the 8th of September in 1891, began living with Amabile and Virginia like a religious, except now there were three. A little more than a year later, the superior of the Jesuits in Brazil visited the parish, and he was amazed at what the three women were accomplishing, caring for the sick and teaching catechism. It was the superior's desire to have a similar hospital and program in Novo Trento, where Italian was also a predominant language. Amabile wanted a school where children could learn Portuguese and have a greater opportunity to join the mainstream of Brazilian life. Again, enter Father Rochi, who knew a wealthy man who could provide the funds. Well, the man had already heard of the good work being done and donated not only money but the land as well. Amabile didn't want to close the first mission in Vigola and was successful in recruiting a lady to maintain the little hospital program, and their numbers were growing. With the help of Amabile's father, the new facility in Nova Trento was finished, a far cry from the shack before. The new little hospital was tiny, but had a room for nurses, a room for patients, a dispensary, and for them the greatest gift of all, a chapel. Well, as you can imagine, it was a success, and when a patient couldn't come to them, they went to the patient, and there were many new conversions to the army of Christ. While the girls at the hospital were not what we would call officially nuns, they considered themselves sisters of charity. They lived the life of prayer and service with Amabile's phrase, all for Jesus and all for our brethren. In early 1895, Amabile's heart was broken to learn that Father Rochi was being transferred to be replaced by another Jesuit. Well, guess what happened next? Another dream. And in this dream, Father Rochi was talking to another priest. And then in the dream, he turned to Amabile and pointed to the priest, telling her, In God's holy and divine providence, this is the priest selected and sent to guide you. Obey him in all things. Well, several weeks later, the new superior arrived, and his name was Father Louis Maria Rossi. And when she saw him, Amabile was shaken, and once again, he was the priest she had seen in her dream. Well, as the weeks passed, it became obvious to Father Rossi that the young women wished to become a religious, and Father Rossi began to work with them on their religious training, and through his help, the new bishop met the women, and after interviewing each one in depth, said, I shall do everything in my power to document these young women as a new religious community. And on August the 25th in 1895, the bishop gave his approval of a new religious order to be known as the Little Sisters of the Immaculate Conception. 
Amabile was now just 30 years old, and only two months later, 11 young women were initiated into the order. But a strange and beautiful thing was happening. You will remember the beautiful lady of Amabile's dream, and in that dream she saw the face of many young women who would join her order. And as the new girls would join them, she would recognize them from that dream. Well, now gone from the eyes of a fickle world was Amabile Visentainer, now to be known as Sister Pauline of the Agonizing Heart of Jesus. And also becoming sisters were Teresa and the two Virginias. This was to be the first women's religious order in all of Brazil. And from that simple beginning, from what we might call a beautiful evidence of God's will being done, that order today serves not only Brazil, but many other countries throughout the world, with perhaps several thousand sisters serving God with hospitals, schools, orphanages, and more. But the story doesn't end there. A husband and wife called on Mother Pauline, bringing with them their 19-year-old daughter, Catherine, who wished to enter the order and who had dreamed of becoming a religious. But there was a problem. Catherine suffered from very poor health, and other orders turned her down for the same reason. As Mother Pauline continued the interview, she saw beyond Catherine's poor health. She saw a soul grieving just for the opportunity of serving Jesus. Well, that was enough for her, and she accepted Catherine as Sister Bernadine. And then one night, she had another of her dreams, and in that dream she dreamt that she was in a field of beautiful flowers of every color, and in the midst of all that beauty was the Virgin of Lourdes in all her glory. The beautiful lady pointed at the flowers, and they immediately turned into young children dressed in white, and the lady spoke to Mother Pauline, "'Look, my daughter,' These are the children you will influence. They will be part of your life. As Mother Pauline looked on, the lady turned and pointed once more to the children, and they became white flowers, and then the lady bent down and picked one very special white bloom, saying, I will give this one to my beloved son. It is the first pure flower of your children to go to glory. And then she added, Be happy for Sister Bernadine. Well, not long after the dream, Sister Bernadine died in glory. Always humble in everything she did, Mother Pauline was also given great crosses to bear. As we know, when one is eminently successful, one has detractors, and such was the case of Sister Pauline. Of course, she had been made the head of the new order as the mother general. But there was a jealous subordinate who was able to reach the ear of the bishop and made many false accusations about Mother Pauline's inability to lead and the damage that she was inflicting on the new order by her inabilities and, and her poor decisions and so on. She convinced the bishop, and he eventually said that he would order her resignation. 
Well, Mother Pauline was aware of all that was happening and, not wishing to create great problems, submitted her resignation, stating simply that, with the great growth of the order, she felt incompetent to continue heading the sisters during such a period of growth. And so she went to a small convent where she chose only the humblest of tasks. Some may have said it was a disgrace, but she considered it only part of God's plan. And the accuser? Well, she ultimately left the order. And later, Mother Pauline became the first general counselor and advisor to the new mother general and accompanied her on many visits to other convents. Well, Mother Pauline grew in holiness and love, but also in suffering. In 1938, the diabetes with which she had lived for so many years began affecting her eyes. A sore caused the amputation of a finger, and later her arm was amputated. Her only comment was, It was given to me by God. I give my whole being to Him. And if that were not enough suffering, she also became blind. But she had another dream that gave her hope. Possibly a year before her death in 1942, Mother Pauline had become very ill and could not visit the chapel. Early in the morning, while the sisters were in the chapel, she had unexpected visitors. There was a woman holding the hand of a very beautiful child who entered the room. And behind the child there was a man looking very much like the statue of St. Joseph. And then the man lifted the child in his arms and carried him closer to the bed. The woman spoke to Mother Pauline and said, I know you love my baby Jesus. Soon you will be with us forever in the kingdom of love. Your pain will bear union with my son. Well, at five o'clock in the morning of July 8th, 1942, Mother Pauline seemed to go into ecstasy and began saying, Have mercy, have mercy, I love you, I love you, my Jesus. Mary, my mother, take my hand and lead me home. And surely little Amabile Visentainer was welcomed into the kingdom of everlasting life and love, and a beautiful flower of God's heavenly garden. But her story doesn't end there. In the 1960s, there was a young child with a deformed and withered leg about which the doctor said nothing could be done. The mother took the child to Mother Pauline's tomb, praying for her intercession from above. And immediately, the child's withered leg took shape and became normal. Pope John Paul II canonized her a saint in May of 2002. And from the garden she planted so many years ago, the blossoms of love are still blooming. But there is one more question. What blossoms will grow from our garden? This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.